Simon uh, Marks, who is LBC's Washington correspondent, very definitely. It's 3.46 now. I'll get back to your calls in a moment, but let's get the travel news from Ross Powell. Thank you. Um, uh, talking about a leaflet that was allegedly handed out at the Disbury Mosque, um, uh, in which there was anti-Western feeling. Nothing, you know, illegal about that. That's fine. I mean, you know, you don't want to hear it, but there it is. You can't do much about that. But uh, pro-jihadi sentiment, pro-violent sentiment is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, and the, the, the discussion has gone in lots of different directions as to what motivates people uh, to attack in the way that we saw on Monday. Abdul has called from Saudi Arabia. I'm grateful for your call, Abdul. Hello there. Hello there, Sheila. What did you want to say? Um, I just wanted to say, as former chairman of Brixton Mosque, um, uh, I was chairman there for 15 years, and what we did to um, prevent these extremists um, spreading their propaganda is we basically restricted all leafleting um, within and outside um, the mosque, at the same time challenging these individuals, because if they cannot resort to leafleting, then what they would try and do is um, lure susceptible individuals to any um, other avenues or venues where they were frequenting. And if you know Brixton Mosque, I said, I'm Abdul Hack Baker, the former chairman. Mm. We had been kicked out of the mosque, um, the shoe bomber Richard Reed. We expelled the 20th um, 9-11 bomber, Zacharias Massawi. So we, we've been fighting this this um, this disease, if you like, and for the past, uh, since the early 90s. Yeah, and can I ask you, Abdul, what you did when you kicked them out? I mean, did you report them or just kick them out? Well, basically, what ha they weren't doing anything that warranted any criminal um, referencing at that particular time. They were just espousing some of their views. Prevent, and, and the prevent strategy and these things weren't there. They didn't exist, time. yeah. Uh, they, but they, they, but, they but what were their time. views? Well, their views were, as we're seeing, this, that they wanted, this, they, they wanted to bring a sort of war here to the West because... Um, one of your callers called in, and to an extent, he was correct, as Corbyn is, that foreign foreign policy was partly to blame, as you've correctly said. And in, in itself, the extremist propaganda makes individuals start hating our way of life, as, uh, pointing to the fact that what's happening in the Muslim and Arab world, for example, at the hands of Western foreign policy, and therefore, why should our way of life continue um, unaffected. So what you said, I, I, I agree with Sheila, I think that our way of life is something that they do talk about, and it includes us as Muslims as well. It includes us that the fact that we are participating... Oh yeah, absolutely. If you're prepared... They, they yeah, they, they regard you as allowing your faith be, to be watered down by the proximity to, to a Western lifestyle, don't they? Exactly. And what's happened with these particular individuals, their, their, their vulnerability is preyed upon and their sense of belonging is stripped from them. This is a key thing from extremist propaganda. Yeah. We, they talk about the Ummah, which the, the Muslim nation, which all of us as Muslims, I'm a convert, we subscribe to. But in this day and age, that's more of an ideal. But they try to strip, if you're from the UK or from any other country, they try and strip that from you and instead replace it with hatred from where, from where you, very come, you come from. And at that particular stage is where we as a community, not just the Muslim community, the wider non-Muslim community, need to be engaging with these individuals, actively engaging beyond the mosque, 
in all sorts of educational and social environments and those, so those, can close down that space. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Those things are happening. It's the extent to which they're happening that we have to constantly look at and, and the success of those efforts has to be constantly looked at. I spoke just two days ago to uh, a chair of governors at um, an Islamic school in Slough who uh, they do prevent work anti-radicalisation work with primary school children, so kids as young as five, to make sure that their sense of themselves is so, that they're so well equipped that should someone ever come along down the line and try to turn them into somebody who would turn against their own country, uh, then they're equipped to say no and to walk away. But, but uh, Abdul, do you believe, because I'm afraid I don't, do you believe that everyone who e ends up espousing these views is necessarily vulnerable? I'm, sh I'm afraid I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, good, good question. My PhD studies was actually on that and, and my, my subsequent book, Extremists in Our Myths Confronting Terror, and I looked at that. And there are two things, if, you, if, you, if I may... Um, of course, yeah. There's ideological, there's ideological extremism and there's behavioural extremism. Now, the latter, behavioural extremism, is subjective, depending in what time society that you live in. At the moment, you've got in France, they hold that the Burqa the Bell is uh, behaviourally extreme. In another country, they may not hold that. Behavioural extremism in itself is maybe particular modes of behaviour. However, if ideological extremism is present, and that is the extremism we're seeing from these terrorists and these extremists, then that, alongside particular aspects of behavioural extremism, is when there is a problem. That's when you can say this individual is moving along the trajectory of violent extremism and terrorism. So we have to be careful when we're saying... As you said, you, you cannot say that any, everyone who espouses those views, if they espouse those views and there's a belief system that is backing that up and is developed from distorted texts, from misrepresentation of the religion, then that belief system mm -hmm. is something that needs to be tackled very, very robustly. And, and I know there are big differences, but there are some stark similarities, I think, between the Nazis and Islamic State and the ideology, because they are both groups who... Well, they're totalitarian for a start. They have, you know, clearly insane intentions, and they have ambitions which seem way beyond their capabilities. But look what, but look what Hitler achieved ultimately. But you know, we there are there are parallels to be drawn there. The insanity at the heart of what they want to achieve. Um, I would say I wouldn't call it insanity, um, Sheila, because then that would give them an excuse. Okay, that gives them a, a, okay, a fair rationale. Enough, yeah. but, 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 but this this deliberate um, ha uh, methodology of hate of this so-called Islamic State, they are a hate group. You'll see that what they've done to instill fear in the West and it, amongst the Muslim countries as well is the barbarism that they've implemented against everyone. Muslims, non-Muslims, the Yazidis, they've, they've, the, the, yep. the, how they have uh, um, implemented their misunderstanding of Islam and those who have a very basic rudimentary understanding have subscribed to that. What, what we need to be doing is counteracting that, deconstructing the very essence of that. And you'll see that the, the main enemies of the so-called Islamic State are individuals within the Muslim community, like ourselves, like our communities, who continually, for the past 27 years or more, have stood up in our, um, on our pulpits, in our literature, highlighting the misrepresentation and calling them out. And that needs to be done so that those who are thinking of joining them are hearing that counter-argument every day in every sphere of their life. In schools, as you've mentioned, in mosques, 
as we've discussed, in um, educational circles, in social circles, amongst their peers. And in conversations like this one? Absolutely. Abdul, thank you very much for your call. Abdul calling from Saudi Arabia. That's it from me for today for this week. You can download the LBC app uh, on your phone or tablet, allowing you to listen to LBC wherever and whenever you want to. Up from seven, it's Andrew Pierce. Uh, but right now, here's Ian Dale.